Hey, it's Miles, and you are listening to the Auburn Community Church Podcast. Normally, you hit play on this, and we jump straight into a sermon, but we wanted to take a second and invite everyone in our extended family into this season of generosity that we're stepping into as a church. We want to invite you, if you're a podcast listener, you follow along with what God has been doing through our church in this season please pray and consider whether or not God is calling you to give a financial gift above and beyond what you would normally give. It's no secret that this is a time of crazy expansion for our church as we're opening a new building and new locations and saying yes to missionaries and local ministries and ministry initiatives all over the place. And we want to invite you to participate in what God is doing through our church. This is by no means a burden or you have to give. This is a blessing and we feel like we get to give and you're invited into it. So whether that's on Venmo or on our website or reaching out about all the ways to give, maybe think about starting the discipline of giving weekly or monthly, even if that's just $5 or $10 or $15. We want to invite our people to invest into what God is doing through Auburn Community Church. We love you guys. Now enjoy this message. One more time for our graduates. Can we give it up for them? Y'all are awesome. So good. Yes, you can have a seat now. You're like, I'm not going to do it again. Oh man, I'm so pumped to open the Word of God with you today. If you haven't been with us, since the month of August, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, and we strategically plan to preach all of these different sermons in Luke, and then to come back to Luke chapters 1 and 2 during the Christmas season, and remember the most detailed version of Advent and the birth of Jesus that we have on record. And so we're building up to Luke chapter 2 on Christmas, but Gage got us started last week in Luke chapter 1, and I do not say this um, just to say something nice about Gage or encourage him because he doesn't need it. <laughs> Y'all, that was, he does, well, I wasn't saying that because he's arrogant, I'm saying that because he, he, he's just confident, so sorry about that, Gage, I didn't mean for that to be funny, but they think it's hilarious over here. Um, <laughs> Y'all, that was a phenomenal word that you heard last Sunday. Just phenomenal. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in Birmingham with tears in my eyes, and not because my friend and a guy, a disciple, was doing such a good job, but because I was gleaning so much from what the man of God was bringing to our church, and I was also so relieved that the man of God bringing that word was not me. If this, that wasn't meant to be funny either. Jeez, rolling today, guys. If what we're building here is going to be built on my ability to continue to bring home run sermons every Sunday, I'm just telling you ahead of time, this whole thing is going to fall apart super fast and I'm going to buckle under that weight. And I love, not that we can bring in a guest speaker from out of town to make up for a week, I love that we're developing pastors, plural, in this church, and I love that no one cared that I was not up here last week. No one cared. And if you're like, well, I cared, it's why I wasn't here. You should go back and watch and see what you missed out on, because it was, it was a phenomenal word. Gage preached on the story of Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah, finding out about John the Baptist being born to them in their old age. And what he called us to understand 
is that the promises of God become personal through an avenue called prayer. And literally, he just told story after story after story in the life of our church of real prayers being answered in real time and God doing the miraculous all around you in ways that you might not even realize it's happening. And it is happening to a degree that's hard for me to keep track of in my mind. See, we hear Baptism Sunday and story after story after story. We're like, whoa, all of this was going on the entire time. But our staff team and some of the volunteers, we get to hear that all the time. And then on top of those stories, there's even more stories. So like the story of, of uh, Brittany and Jordan having their baby, and we've been talking about that for weeks, Isaac Samuel, it's so awesome. Well, then one of the guys who got baptized, he's actually an ER doc, came to me and he was like, no, that story gets even better. You need to know this. Like I'm new to, I'm new to this church and I came back in January because I was going through a season. My wife and I were going through a season where we were just empty and we needed more of God. So I started coming during the Daniel Children of Revival series. And I realized like I wasn't really following Jesus. I just said that name. He said, in fact, I realized I've never really prayed. And so my first prayer, and I can't go into full detail about this, but it's even better than I'm telling it. He said, my first prayer was that my friends Brittany and Jordan would get pregnant before my wife and I do, even though we were struggling with infertility. He said, I'm, I'm going to go into the full detail. So him and his wife, are y'all here, by the way? I think I just made eye contact with him. Love you, Chris. Um, but he tells me, he's like, we got pregnant before Jordan and Brittany, which wasn't my prayer. But then we lost our baby, mourned that. Jordan and Brittany got pregnant. And now my wife is pregnant and about to have a baby. Crazy. The exact details. Yeah, it's awesome. You can celebrate that. The exact details of what he prayed came true in real time. I'm worshiping on the front row this morning behind a mom who 14 years ago gave birth to twin boys who the doctors highly recommended she abort because of how unsafe the pregnancy was going to be. They're 14 years old sitting behind her right now. I'm, I'm in church in Birmingham last week, bawling my eyes out already to the song available, and a dad comes and almost bear hugs me, super uncomfortable, crying on me. And I'm like, I have my own moment with God, and who is this person? Who, okay. And then he starts telling me, he's like, you don't understand, you don't understand. My son was so far from God, and then he came to your church in Auburn, and he found Jesus. And now my daughter, uh, his little sister, came as well, and she's an LDP. And our whole family has been transformed by what God is doing in and through this church. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. I was just like, Whoa. And, and we're experiencing so much in prayer right now and like diving deeper into prayer. And I just want to invite the whole church into that. A lot of us, and I say us as in staff members, elders, and, and volunteers are reading a book right now. It's very rare for me to go, hey, you need to read this book other than this book because this is first and most important. But I want to invite us, since we got 21 days of prayer coming up in January, to be ready for that. There's a book we're studying right now called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by a guy named Tyler Staten that I want to encourage our whole church to read over the course of the next month. If you can't afford to buy it, we will buy one for you. We are ordering some for our store over here and for all the other uh, locations as well for y'all to be able to purchase. But you need to be reading what this guy is bringing in this book. And I'm, I'm three-fourths of the way through, so if he gets to like the end and becomes a heretic and denies Jesus, my apologies, I didn't mean it. But <laughs> I highly recommend this resource. So when I was getting ready to preach this message today, knowing that all of that is happening within the backdrop of our church, I wanted to acknowledge all of those things 
but then flip the conversation and speak to the majority of people who are hearing and celebrating all these amazing things God seems to be doing for everyone else, but you're not experiencing it for yourself. It's great. You're happy to come to a baptism Sunday and go, that's awesome that God did that. You're happy to hear story after story of the faithfulness of God. But if you got honest about your own life, that's not really the reality that you're living in. And some of you are like bitter about that and want a word from God or want a tangible miracle to see the presence of God. But most of you are not even bitter about that. It's just not even on the radar of all you have going on right now. If you got really honest, you're like, it's so cool that God's moving in people's lives and it's great, but that's not even like a main endeavor of my month. My main endeavor this month, moms, you need to amen this, is survival. I'm not really looking for God to do a miracle in and through my family. I'm trying to make it, still be alive, have my kids have a good Christmas. I'm trying to make it through hanging out with my family without losing my mind. I'm trying to dodge a political conversation at Christmas dinner. Praise God, we made it through Thanksgiving. Like, I think a lot of us are just like, that's so awesome that on a high level, God's doing all this cool stuff. But in my reality, I'm not really tasting, I'm not really seeing that. And really honest, I'm not even sure I want to right now. Not the season for me. And if that's you in the room, I truly believe what God's going to speak through his word today will collide with your life. If you need a title for this sermon, it's called God's Favor, Our Faith. And it comes straight out of the story of the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary and delivering the news that as a virgin, she will conceive and give birth to the Son of God, whose kingdom will never end. God's favor, our faith. Look at somebody next to you say, favor, favor. Look at the other person you just ignored for whatever reason and say, faith, faith. <laughs> Tell them you like their outfit too. <laughs> I want to preach to you today about actively agreeing with what God has spoken over you personally. Faith is active agreement, confidence, banking on, leaning on. Faith is not just an intellectual ascribing to doctrine. Faith is like the leaning, the banking of your life on. This is what I know to be true, and I'm actively participating in believing that it's true. And Mary is going to have a moment where she receives the favor of God from the angel Gabriel with a faith that is completely unheard of for a woman or someone her age in the story of the scriptures. This is a one-of-a-kind moment, but it's actually, when you read Luke's gospel, the model moment for how disciples of Jesus who want to go deeper should respond when God bestows favor on their life. We're going to look at this in Luke chapter 1. Did you bring your Bible today? If you have your Bible, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Don't have time for anything else today. My intro took way too long. Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26, and we're literally picking up six months after the story from last week. Elizabeth Six months pregnant with John the Baptist. Her husband cannot speak because Zechariah tried to negotiate with the angel Gabriel for a sign of, hey, I need to know that this is going to happen because my wife and I are too old to have a baby. And he should have believed the word of God as it was spoken, especially knowing the fact that he's from a priestly family and knows the Old Testament so well. This is par for the course for the God of Israel to allow a woman to have a baby in her old age. And literally, Zachariah's mouth is going to be shut until John the Baptist is born Elizabeth, six months pregnant, has a relative, a young girl 
who's visited by the same angel who visited her. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you're there, say I'm there. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, stop right there. A lot of us assume that Mary was troubled because she received news that she was going to be pregnant as a virgin, even though she was engaged to a descendant of David. An engagement or, or being betrothed 2,000 years ago was, was just as good contractually as being married. It was just that the two have not come together, and, and, and the marriage has not been finalized yet. The husband is making preparations for everything to be finalized and them come together. But before Mary ever receives word about being pregnant, the only word she receives from the angel is about her favor. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So why is she so troubled by that? She's troubled by that because in the scriptures, to women in particular, this doesn't happen often, if at all. She's going, what? Now remember, the last story, the angel appeared to Zechariah. But now the angel is here appearing to Mary, who at the time in the season of engagement is somewhere between the ages of 12 and 16. I, I love to give her 16 because I, I don't like picturing Mary any younger than that. I'm like, she's at least got to be able to drive to give birth to the son of God. But typically in this culture, 12 to 16, we're talking about God setting aside a young girl who's young enough to be on the younger side of our youth group here and assigning her the most special role in the history of God's story from the beginning of time until now. That's what's happening right now. And she's troubled because she's going, this is not normal. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. There it is again. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And now the angel repeats the phrase, favor. You have found favor with God. God has noticed you. He's seen you. He wants to do something special and significant with you. Here's how special it is. And he says, he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, this scene should be seen coexisting with the past scene from Luke chapter 1 of the angel telling Zechariah about John the Baptist. But these claims about this baby are far beyond even the great things that got claimed about John the Baptist, that he would be holy, that he'd be set apart, that he would prepare the way for the Lord. Like All those things are awesome, but this is awesome to another level. Mary is receiving word that the promised Messiah who will reign forever within the line of David is going to be born to her as a virgin pledged to be married. Biggest news she's ever received in her life. You're going to be part of the whole world experiencing what God is doing. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. This is so misunderstood right here. I love that Gage talked about this last week. This seems like she doesn't believe, just like Zechariah didn't believe. 
But there's a difference. There's a difference between demanding clarity from God and displaying curiosity with God. Demanding clarity is when you arm wrestle God to tell you exactly how it's going to be and try to bend him according to your will. Displaying curiosity is living with awe and wonder that you would be included in something so marvelous. She's like, wait, how? I Literally what she means by since I'm a virgin, it means I know no man. She's saying, how can this be? I'm not even a candidate to do that physically. She's not disagreeing with the fact that God is able to do it. She's marveling at the fact that she would even be considered for the position based on who she is in her humble state. She's going, wow, how can this be? I don't even meet the qualifications for what it would take to be a mother, and yet it's me. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail, and I'm sorry, NIV, it's better in the ESV, nothing is impossible with God. That quote that we sang in same God, I'm calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. That is all from this passage. And nothing is impossible with God is an echo of the entire theme of God's story in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 18, word for word, that is what the angel says to Sarah about having Isaac. That is what is said to Job. That is what is said through Jeremiah. Nothing, nothing can thwart the plans of God. No amount of human limitations or possibilities can stop or even slow down what God has set out to do. And you know this, Mary, you believe this, and that's the reason why you're experiencing the favor of God right here and right now. Nothing is impossible with God. Now watch this. This is the whole point of the narrative, verse 38, and this is where we're gonna be living today. I... And the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. ESV, may it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Leave that verse up there for a second. This response right here is the entire purpose of Luke chapter one. That the Angel delivers the news, responds to Mary's awe and wonder, tells her this is happening, and her faith is described in a simple sentence. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. When God's favor is bestowed on a human life, it is only as valuable as the faith that is required to receive said favor. Pay close attention to this. It was eight years ago, our first Christmas season as a church. I preached on this passage about favor and faith. And I said this line, I thought it was so creative at the time. I said, more favor acquired means more faith required. It's like, look, I can preach. And it was like, stop, slow down. That favor and faith go hand in hand in the kingdom of God. It was a decent sermon, by the way, good 23-minute sermon back in the day. And... I've seen how 
God distributing favor oftentimes will go hand in hand with the faith that will be required to receive it. Yes, this is awesome for Mary to be favored by God, and she's in awe and wonder about it. But the angel also just blew up her whole life, blew up her future marriage. No way a guy's staying with her, claiming that this baby is from God while they're engaged to be married. Her reputation in the community, her future, she's already poor and from a poor family. God just blew up this young girl's life. And her response is, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. And the reason why I'm arguing that this is the whole point of Luke's narrative is because this is the central theme of Luke 1 in the midst of a literary vice used to centralize certain themes. Pay attention. If you've been coming to ACC for a while, you should notice what's happening. I was reading Luke 1 this week, and I saw Luke 1 begins with an angel delivering news to Zechariah that a baby's coming. He delivers news to Mary that a baby's coming. Then there's this middle moment, and then Mary sings a song, and then Zechariah sings a song. Luke chapter 1 is strangely symmetrical. It seems like this may be, you better believe, Luke 1 is a It's a chiasm. If you're new, you're so weirded out, and I see it on your face. You just need to go back and listen to our Daniel series. Don't have time to go in fully what it is. The chiasm is a literary vice used in the Bible repeatedly to point meaning in a centralized, buried place. So you see two announcements of births, two songs celebrating those births. There's this middle moment, and the middle moment of Luke 1 is when Elizabeth and Mary meet. It's really when the two babies meet, John the Baptist and Jesus. And I want to read it to you and show you the absolute midpoint of this passage in ancient Greek. Go to Luke chapter 1, and let's read what's next in verse 39. It says, At that time, so right when Mary receives word from the angel, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. When she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, or sorry, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now watch this. Here's the midpoint, verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Awesome scene. John the Baptist leaping in the womb, like Gage said last week. Such an awesome example of the sanctity of life in the womb. But there's this one line where she says, Blessed are you because you believed that the Lord would fulfill your, his promise to you. Let me show you the chiasm structure. Can we put that, that whole one on the screen real quick? This is Luke chapter 1. And on that screen, I feel like a weatherman as I'm like pointing this way. Okay. So you got the two birth announcements. You got the songs. Okay. We're going to do it like the weather. Let's hold on. Let me practice. Okay. Let's circle that one. Circle that one. There, nice. All right. This centralized narrative leads all attention to the meeting of the two babies, and there's a supernatural moment, no doubt, but that is not a throwaway statement in verse 45. 
The whole story of Luke 1 is supposed to get the reader to notice Mary is being blessed by God because she believes the word spoken to her. That's what this is about. And not only does this structure tell me that that's what this is about, Luke will come back to this later in his own gospel. Randomly, in Jesus' life and ministry, I have waited since May to drop this one on you guys, so if you're not paying attention, you need to hear this. Randomly, in Jesus' life, while he's teaching about the kingdom of God spreading, there's a woman who yells at him about his mom. And it's not negative, it's actually a compliment. I'll show it to you, you don't gotta turn there. Luke 11, verse 27, it says, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Y'all, you gotta see this. Randomly in Jesus's life, somebody goes, your mom is blessed. It's a compliment to him. And Jesus seems like he's pulling the conversation and turning the attention away from his mom and going, no, don't talk about my mom. Blessed are those who hear God's word and obey it. But actually, look up here, that is not what Jesus is doing at all. He is not diminishing or minimizing his mom. He's actually highlighting the thing about his mom that needs to be emulated the most. He's going, oh, you think my mom's blessed because she gave me birth and nursed me? No, my mom is blessed because she heard the word of God and obeyed it. And you have been invited to do the exact same thing. Mary, I believe, in the gospel of Luke is our example as disciples of Jesus of what the first true disciple actually did. A lot of controversy about Mary in the church world. Some of you, this makes you uncomfortable just talking about Mary because if you grew up in more Catholic circles, she's been venerated to the point of like people pray to Mary, they say Hail Marys, they light candles, they put up idols, and, and it, it, it's, it's, it's not good. And so what we've done on the Protestant side, is we've responded by almost diminishing Mary and going, she's just a human being like anybody else. And I would just say, don't let the reaction against poor theology make you miss out on what God did through this woman. This is not just another human being. This is, I believe Mary's title in the scripture should be the first disciple. This is the first disciple of Jesus. Modeling in the gospel of Luke in obedience to the word of God that far exceeds her male contemporaries. James, John, Peter, Simon the Zealot, Shirley, Judas Iscariot, never show up in the scriptures as such a model of faith, like what Mary shows up at at the very beginning, the beginning of Jesus's life. And why is this there? Why does Luke come back to it later? Why is it in the middle of such a long and beautiful chiasm? Because Luke wants you to know this. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you want to experience more of God, your response to the radical favor of God must be radical faith on your part. That's the message. If you're here and going, I want more of God, I want some of these stories, I want to be able to look back on what God's done in and through my life and look at miracle after miracle and faithfulness after faithfulness. Here it is, here's the invitation from the life of Mary. The radical favor of God must be met with radical faith. It was Mary's yes that completed what God was doing in and through her life. And I believe the reason why it's buried like this and the reason why it's repeated is because God wants us to understand the same invitation is yours as a disciple. 
No, you're not going to be invited as a virgin to give birth to the son of God. That is not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying your role in the story is going to be as awesome and amazing as Mary's. It will not be. But Mary is intended to spark in us a reaction that goes, does God have my yes the way God has Mary's in this story? Does he have your yes? And I mean that, may it be to me according to your word. Whatever you want, God, I'm in, I'm yours. We did a worship night here last Sunday night. I read this story and I just plainly said, if you want to experience more of God, give God an irrevocable yes, regardless of what the question is on your life. If you do that, you'll have stories. If you do that, you'll encounter the presence of God. And part of the reason why the presence of God is so minimal in your life is because your commitment to God is so partial. The presence is like feeling spotty at best and I don't know where he is and I don't know what he's saying. And it's like, well, that's the same degree of your commitment to him. So if you give God an irrevocable yes, what's an irrevocable yes? It means even if I tried to change my mind about this, I couldn't. It's something the Holy Spirit plants on the inside of you to where you can find out that your whole life just got blown up in a moment from an angel and go, may it be to me according to your word. I'm honored to just get used by God and be noticed in my humble state. So I agree, even if it means my life is ruined, even if it means everything's different now, I'm in. Why? Because I'm yours. Have you ever gotten there with God? And if you haven't, it's probably why the stories are lacking. I'm not talking about, are you a Christian? I'm not talking about, did you grow up in church? I'm talking about, does God have your irrevocable yes? There's a couple in our church. They worked in the Salvation Army for a long time. They're sitting right there. And just love to call people out in the middle of church. And I remember them saying to me, we go to God and we say, the answer is yes. Now, what is the question? I love that. We've already decided it's a yes from my heart and my spirit. Now, what are you asking? And when you make that decision, you switch over from mere knowledge about God to real experience. There's a difference between knowledge about who he is and even good knowledge and the experiential walking out of what we're reading about. That's what same God, that song we've been singing, I feel like that's our main song. Well, all hail King Jesus is close. They're neck and neck for song of the year at Auburn Community Church. But same God, that's what it's all about. It's like, God, I wanna experience what I'm reading about here. I don't wanna just know facts on a page. You know, there's such a difference between knowing something about something and walking in it and speaking from personal experience. You can read all about a city you want to visit, but so different once you're there walking the streets and eating at the restaurants. You can read and study all about Disney World, but you don't really know until you're there and you taste and see the magic. And I need to compliment Disney today, sorry, because a couple weeks ago I said, well, I talked about how Disney's leaning in such a direction that, that we're not happy about. And I said, hey, if anybody has any pull at Auburn Community Church and you can change things at Disney, please do. Y'all, that night the CEO got fired and replaced. And, <laughs> and so all these people were messaging me like, whoa, who do we have at our church that has this kind of pull? It was like, oh, wow. Now it wasn't, I'm, I'm, it's unfortunate because I don't think this move had anything to do with anything I was talking about. And I don't think it will result in true change. We still need to pray that Disney 
leaves behind the ways of the world and comes back to something resembling the kingdom of God. Anyway, all that being said, I'm, I, I said that a couple weeks ago. It makes it sound like I'm anti-Disney. Love Disney. Taking my kids twice. Love it. Just w- wish they would change some things. But there's something so different between studying about it. Hey, we're going to get this pass on the Genie app. We're going to go to this park. Then we're going to hit this park. But actually experiencing it and being there, so different than just reading about it and preparing for it. Look at me, y'all. The same is true about Christians who read these stories versus live them and experience them every day of their lives. It's so different when knowledge becomes experience. And it's so different when the very promises written on a page to the people of God become a lifeline for your life and come through in real time. How do I get from reading about it to experience it? The the simplest response I have to that question is, does God have your yes? Because what God could do through an available life far exceeds our highest expectations and imaginations. I'm telling you from personal experience, you have absolutely no idea what God wants to do through your yes. Like you might think you do, and you might even think you can outdream God, but then you give him your yes, and you just wait. Watch what happens. Five years, 10 years, 15 years down the line, you'll go, Okay, even on my best day, writing in those details and that closeness with you and that impact and everything that you're doing, my mind is blown by what you're doing through the course of a lifetime. I told people last Sunday at our worship night, it was almost all 18 to 25 year olds. I straight up got in front of them and said, it is so overrated to just follow Jesus while you're young. So overrated. I was like, I'm just now tasting some of the goodness of decades of faithfulness, cannot imagine what growing into old age looks like looking back at the faithfulness of God. That's joy. That's fullness. Tasted it a little bit last week. Y'all, do you think me standing there in a weird government room in Birmingham, a place that we, we never thought God was gonna do, we didn't, we didn't know God was gonna do something in Auburn, much less Birmingham, and to have that dad so grateful as I'm sitting there crying and praying about my own kids, And feeling my yes to God get to be a part of God's faithfulness on this family in that moment. I'm going, these are the type of moments that you were thinking about when I said yes to you at 13 years old in that movie theater? Absolutely. You cannot outdream God for your life. You just can't. But God doesn't bring that special level of his presence to people who are partially or half-hearted surrendered. It cannot be, oh, it's a maybe for me. It's gotta be a, it's a yes. Now what is the question? And how you get there is actually a lot easier than you think. And I know we, we harp on deep, radical discipleship every week at this church. What does it mean to give God everything? What does it mean to live with open hands? But how you actually get there when you read about how Mary got there is the best news in all the world. And wherever the gospel is proclaimed, it must be good news, not bad news. The bad news is not, you gotta give away everything if you wanna experience more of God. The good news is, give away everything because you have received everything in his favor. I wanna show you two ingredients that you'll need to live like this, and then I promise we're done. This is where the gold is, y'all. This is where the gold is. Number one, In response to God's favor, here's what our faith looks like. Our faith looks like real trust in response to God's word. Real trust. I like that phrase. 
Mary said, may it be to me according to your word. That's, here's a good phrase to write down. It's called active agreement. It means I agree actively as I step with it. That's faith. Faith is not, I agree intellectually, even though I'm fully planning on doing something else with what I just received. I'm, no, 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 it's active. It's stepping in agreement. But of all the promises God has made to you personally in his word, and he has made a lot of them, the hardest to continually believe and trust him are the promises that coincide with his favor on your life. Pay close attention to this. We think of trusting God's promises as, I know you can do the impossible. I know you can heal her. I know you can watch over my kids. I know you'll do this. I, know, I, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. But actually, the hardest promise for a broken sinner like you and me to continue to believe is that God still loves us even in our dysfunction. It's to actually continually agree to the favor of God on your own life over the course of a lifetime. And for Mary, this is crazy to consider, I actually believe that the hardest thing for her to believe was not that God was going to allow her to conceive as a virgin. I think the hardest thing for Mary to believe was that God would choose her. Why do I think that? Because the song that she sang began with, my soul magnifies the Lord for he has been mindful of my humble state. The thing that blew Mary's mind the most was that God would see and find and choose her in all of her humility and poverty. And I just want to tell you today, I don't care how much money you have in your bank account, you are spiritually impoverished without Jesus. That's why the Sermon on the Mount begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes, first quality of what it means to enter into my kingdom is knowing that you are spiritually bankrupt without me. Of all the promises God has made you, the ones the enemy will lie the loudest about are about God favoring you and loving you and forgiving you. Oh, he'll lie to you about provision. He'll scare you, whisper things like, hey, you're not gonna have enough. Hey, he's not gonna come through. Hey, he's a healer for them, but probably not for you. Hey, he, I mean, he'll whisper all kind of stuff to get you distracted. But the ones he is the most persistent and ruthless about have to do with whether or not God loves you and is for you. That word favor, do not take that word favor as a kind of a prosperity. God, I'm blessed and highly favored. I've got all this stuff. No, being blessed and highly favored is about God bestowing on you a crown of righteousness and calling you a son or a daughter. That's what it means to be favored by God. And in Jesus, you've been given that type of favor. The problem for you and the problem for me is that we fail to actively agree with the favor that's been given to us. Mary goes, all right, I'm in. You want to use me more than you've ever used any human being in the whole story? And I'm 13 years old, 14 years old? Sure, I'm in. I'm yours. That is the type of childlike faith it takes to agree, to actually believe that what God sees when he sees you through the lens of the cross is the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus. This takes bolder faith than starting a church, than moving overseas. It takes more boldness to agree over a lifetime that God still loves you than any of those things. And if you got the faith to agree to the favor, you will be burning for the glory of God with a confidence, not, not an arrogance, a confidence that says, I can't believe it, but I know he's for me. And I know he's with me. If there's one area of my life that I'm readily aware of, that I'm tremendously weak, 
It is believing that God is still with me and for me. Saw this, this was a couple years ago. I had this lunch, me and uh, one of our elders, David Fickner, we got invited to lunch with a Hispanic pastor in our community. He's an awesome guy. Uh, he just wanted to have lunch with us. And so we went to McAllister's right across the street, sat down. And we, I'll just admit it, we kind of had some assumptions for what the lunch was about. We're like, okay, we're going to make small talk. He's got something he needs from us and it's fine. Like we love this guy. We love his family. The, David knew him well and was like, whatever he wants, we're going we're gonna to say yes to. He's a good guy. Okay, whatever. So we sit down and we make all the small talk that Auburn people do. And yeah, how's this? And oh, I got family. I got this many kids, da, 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 whatever. And we get later in the meal and we're like, okay, when, is, when, when do we get to the whole point of why we're here? And so we kind of rush him into it. And we're like, hey, just want to know, like for whatever reason you wanted to come to lunch with us, you're free to ask or say it. Like, totally, it's yours. Guy looks me in the eyes and says, oh, well, I notice, Pastor Miles, that the Lord is with you. And because of that, I just wanted to be friends with you. And I'm sitting there going, this pastor who knows next to nothing about me, agrees more about God's favor on my life than I do for me. That you just wanted to know me because you think the Lord is with me. I wonder if, if we could see through the eyes of the people who love us and are most for us what God sees when he bestows favor on us individually. We have to stop agreeing to lies about what God has placed on the inside of us. And I know, even right now, you hear that, and you go, yeah, well, he said that because you're a pastor, and Mary, that's God's mom. Like, how much can I believe in God's favor on my life? Y'all, the whole message of Christmas is Emmanuel. God with us. Not God with her or him or them, us. The good news about the gospel is that this forgiveness, this love, this grace is universally available where people are ready to receive it. It's yours. Do you have the faith to receive it? You want to experience more of God? Have faith to believe the favor of God in and through your life in the middle of your dysfunction, in the middle of your addiction, waking up the morning after ashamed again. You know, that's the hardest time to believe the favor of God. Not when you've got it figured out, but when you're like, I don't know if I'll ever figure it out, and yet he still loves me and chooses me and is with me and is for me in the middle of the divorce, in the middle of cancer, in the middle of feeling that depression and mental illness that you go, God, I don't know if I'm ever even gonna get my mind right, agreeing to and believing in the favor of God. And you start counting those promises and you start noticing these are not universal promises about the people of God. These can be personal for you. Like what? Like the fact that God is rich in mercy and abounding in love and kindness. Like the fact that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's not waiting for you to be able to keep the law. God has kept the law perfectly in Jesus and loved you in spite of you. You start reading through the New Testament and the Old Testament and going, I am a part of the kingdom people of God and every promise that is yes and amen in Jesus is mine to count on for myself. I've been favored by the God of the universe. I don't have to run away in fear. I can step in confidence. You have to learn real trust in response to God's word and all of his word, but particularly his word to you individually. Is this helping anyone?
I have one more point as I'm actively sweating, talking about active agreement. It's real trust in response to God's word. Number two, it's grateful worship in response to God's mercy. Grateful worship in response to God's mercy. So what happens after God delivers this news to Mary through an angel? She visits Elizabeth. Elizabeth says that line. And Mary's response to that, blessed are you because you believed in the words spoken to you. What does Mary do? She sings. And she sings these words. Just receive this. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Listen to this. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. The theme of Mary's song to magnify and glorify the Lord is the mercy of God. And then Zechariah will sing a song after John the Baptist is born and he gets his voice back. Thank you, God, for doing that for Zechariah. And what does he sing about? Tyler will talk about this next week. He sings about the tender mercy of our God. Apparently, when God's favor met with Mary's faith, the only rightful response to that collision was a song. And the same was true about Zechariah. Y'all look up here and do not miss this. Nobody had to have a side meeting with Mary and go, hey, that was awesome. God's gonna give you baby, son of God. You should really write him a song because he likes it when we sing to him. Apparently the longest book in the scriptures is a bunch of songs, so he really likes those. You should sing to God. And then she writes a song. No, this is, this is her rightful response because that's how worship should be. There is nothing more cringeworthy to me than to be at a worship gathering and the worship leaders say, let's all lift our hands to God. I hate that. Like, it's so, oh, you, oh, act like you love it. It's terrible. You're like, oh man, no, that's not it. That's not the move. Like, I, don't, I don't mind turn your hands toward heaven because this one's more like just, just helps your bodily posture to be available. But the whole, either, either, okay, lift your hands to God or make a joyful noise. And it's like, I can't hear you, make a joyful noise. You're like, no. And then it's like, you get the half-hearted response of like some hands go up and some people get louder, but none of them are doing it because they're responding to God, just trying to make you feel better. And it's like, why? Why does that make us cringe? Because it's not a real worshipful response. It's all just to see something visible. Grateful worship for the mercy of God is something that no one has to tell you to do it or even how. No one has to walk you through why you should. It's just what you want to do when you understand how good God's been to you. It's just what you naturally do. God's favor meets my faith. What happens when that collision happens? Worship. Wonder and awe overflows into worship for the God of the universe. And when you worship in response to God's mercy, you stop caring what your friends and family are gonna think or even how you sound, God knows I don't care about that for myself because I'm the worst singer in our church by far. It's not close. Come sit over there. It's bad. But I don't care because what I'm thinking about in that moment is the mercy of God and going, how in the world are you choosing me again? 
what Jesus has given you mandates a response. And I wanted this gathering to end with us just gratefully singing together in worship. We're not taking communion today, not because we don't believe in that. We were all about it. Communion's coming right back next week, trust me. But we're gonna go straight into worship because I think that's the only way to, re- to respond today to a God who has revealed what he's revealed in the scriptures. Would you stand up at all of our locations right now? And just close your eyes in the presence of God. Let's have a moment of calm in the midst of the chaos. Somehow Mary remains calm as her whole life gets blown up and magnifies the Lord in response to this word. We can find calm in the presence of God today. If you're here and you have never given God your irrevocable yes, this is your moment to do that. Whether it's the first time or the first real time you can remember, I wanna have a moment where you can mark that personally. This is not for everyone in the room, but if you're here today going, my response is yes. If God has favored me that much in Jesus, I'm saying yes to that. If that's you here at 323 Airport Road or anywhere else watching online, would you just lift your hand right where you're at right now? I wanna pray for you. God's got my yes. He's got my yes, I'm in. Heavenly Father, you see every hand lifted to heaven right now. I ask you, in Jesus' name, would you receive these prayers? They're saying, Jesus, you have my yes, no matter what it costs, no matter where we're going, no matter who we're going with. I want your favor to be met with my faith. I love it. Heavenly Father, we ask you right now, would you stir up in us an environment of grateful praise? You have been merciful. You are worthy of every note we are about to sing. So God, would you inhabit the praise of your people? Help us to be like Mary, giving you that irrevocable yes and responding in the praise and honor and glory that you're worthy of. We love you, God. We sing to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing together.